chapter 4 reads like this. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I am angry enough to die. The Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? We've been working through this book of Jonah, and um, one of the things that we've seen over the, I guess over the past 12, 18 months, hopefully, has been working through different parts of the Bible, is that the Bible does two things, does many things, does many things, but at least two of the things that it does are it, it shows us, it displays to us, it reveals to us God himself. From the beginning of the Bible right to the very end, one of the purposes is that continuously, step by step, God is being displayed to us, increasingly so. But there's something else that, uh, that this book brings to us. People have said that the Bible is like a mirror. It lifts a reflection up before us of ourselves. It shows us what we are like. Um, I, you know, mirrors are funny things. And uh, it, it's, apparently it's said that uh, women look in mirrors in a different way to guys look in mirrors. Apparently, I don't know, because I'm not, I'm not like this. You know. yeah, guys look in the mirror and they look, hey, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Looking good. Lost a bit more. Whatever it might be, apparently. Uh, women look in the mirror and say, oh no. <laughs> Another bad hair day, apparently. But you know, mirrors are that brutal at times, aren't they? You know, there are times when the mirror, well, it doesn't lie, sadly. <laughs> we wish it would lie 
maybe, because it would make us feel better. But mirrors don't lie. They tell us the truth of what, the, what we are like. And maybe the Bible's like that. Maybe the Bible lifts up in front of us a reflection of ourselves, is brutally honest at times about the reality of us as individuals as we stand before God. And let me just encourage you that we cannot move forward in our relationship with God until we go through the process of being brutally honest of what that reflection shows to us. Until we're able to really see what we are like. We will never really move forward in our relationship with God. If you are, if you are in that process of knowing that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, you will be deceived. We will be deceived if we continue to think uh, that our impression of ourselves is trustworthy. If we look at the Bible and we say, this is lifting up before me uh, a picture of myself, a reflection of myself, which might be painful to look at at times, but is there so that I can grow, so that I can develop, so that I can build in my greater understanding of God by understanding as well who I am. And I think really Jonah chapter 4 does that for us in a striking way. It lifts before us a pattern, a process of a change in one man's relationship with God. In fact, really, the book of Jonah is doing that for us. A change in one man's relationship with God. A man who, initially, we've described is a man on the run, Jonah, the running man. We see that right at the very beginning. In fact, we see a reflection of that at the end of the book as well. We see here in uh, verse 2 that Jonah speaks and he, he prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Here's Jonah's final words to God uh, at the end of a whole process. And if you don't know the story, let me give you a quick, quick recap. For those of us who know it well, a recap is helpful as well. Jonah is told to, by God to go to a great pagan city, the greatest city that the world knew at the time, the city of Nineveh, which God described as a wicked city. Go and speak against it. That's what God is call, calling Jonah to do. Uh, and Jonah, instead of going and speaking, immediately obeying what God uh, has called him to do, he goes in completely the opposite direction. He goes in, in literally, geographically, the opposite direction to the way he should have gone. He goes as far as he possibly can in the known world at that time away from God. What's he doing? He's going away from God's presence... He's going away from God where God is, in his understanding. God is, after all, in the temple, isn't he? God is present with his people. I've been called to go and speak to this pagan, pagan city. I'm going to go as far away from that city and as far away from God as I possibly can. He just goes away. 
He does not do what God calls him to do. We know that through a series of incredible events, God turns him around. He brings him back to a point where he does go to that city, where he does speak against the wickedness of that city. In fact, he goes in and he just speaks that as far as we can see. He just says, in 40 days, this city is going to be destroyed. But what we see revealed here is a little bit of Jonah's heart because he knows. He knows what God is like. He knows that God is the kind of God who is going to be compassionate. He knows he's the kind of God who is going to relent. He's not going to bring calamity. He's going to bring that message with a purpose because he wants people to respond to that. We said earlier that this book, this whole book, is about God revealing himself. Here's God revealed. You want to know what God is like? Somebody said to me a couple of days ago, where's God in the middle of... And I can't remember what particular disaster it was. I think it might have been the Holocaust. Where's God in the middle of that? Well, here's God revealed. Here's the heart of God revealed. A God who is compassionate. A God who does not bring calamity. A God who desires not to judge. A God who is kind and compassionate. And yet a God who is righteous. A God who is prepared to say, this is wrong. Here's God revealed. But what we also see is Jonah revealed in this. In fact, we see Jonah revealed in chapter 1 and chapter 2. We see a process that for every single one of us, no matter where we are in our experience of God, maybe you are you know that you are not a believer in Jesus this evening. Maybe you know that. But even if you are there, let me say that you are, you're going to be like this because I know that those of us who follow and trust in Jesus can be like this as well. We can run away from God and we can be silent. That's where Jonah was in chapter 1 and chapter 2. God told him to go and do something. It's not until chapter 4 when we have the issue opened up, where Jonah opens up his mouth. For the first two chapters, he is silent before God. He, He doesn't say anything. But what's going on deep down in his heart is he hears this demand. He asks, he sees what God is calling him to do. He weighs it up and he believes in his mind, in his heart, that's not right. I can't accept that. I'm not going to come to God about this. I'm just going to go in another direction. And he runs away from God in silence. It's a frightening place, you know. To be silent with our thoughts before God. In fact, it's a process that takes us deeper and deeper and deeper into ourselves. I know what, I know what it's like when, when there are issues in, in my life. Uh, and I go silent before God. I know what, even as a believer what that does for me. Silence before God allows me to kind of start this process of circling and circling around the issue, 
considering it in my own thoughts, with my own uh, ideas, with my own agenda, becoming deeper and deeper and deeper in this spiral, spiral of being embroiled in my assessment of how things ought to be. Silent before God. We can be silent before God in all sorts of ways. We can be silent before God in the big issues that we see. That is one of the reasons why we have the big question. Because it's an opportunity to not be silent in the face of God with some of the the big questions that we face. You know, one of the things that we need to come to terms with as we see this is silence is not the answer. But also we need to understand that there are no questions, there are no issues that are too big for God. Jonah had weighed it up. He decided in his thoughts, this is wrong, I'm going in the other direction. It's too big for him to open up before God and yet God showed him, I'm bigger. I'm bigger than your silence. I can turn you around. I can bring you a point to a point where we get to this. Because the next stage in the process is critical. What do we see finally at the beginning of chapter 4? Silence changes to what? Jonah starts speaking. Jonah starts talking to God. Did you see the transition that takes place? It's been silent for two chapters in the issue that's been grappling. I would even say that that he's gone back to Nineveh and he's preached as God had called him to do. But it would seem as though he's never, until this point in chapter 4, really opened his heart to God. Oh, he's gone back to Nineveh. He's gone and he's spoken in that city. On the face of it, he's done all of the things that make it appear on the outside that everything's right in his relationship between himself and his God, doesn't it? On the outside, it looks fine, doesn't it? Jonah appears to have done everything right. God's spoken to him. He's gone in the opposite direction. He's been silent. God has brought him through a remarkable experience, being buried in the sea, swallowed by a great fish, vomited up onto the shore, and he goes and he speaks in that city. And from the outside, everything looks right. He's now being obedient. Just how deceptive our obedience can be on the outside, can't it? We can give an impression on the outside that everything is fine. But everything wasn't fine with Jonah. He was in that city. He was doing all of the things that it would appear as though God had called him to do. Everything on the outside was right. And what's more, the people respond. The people of Nineveh respond. To Jonah's message. What greater vindication could there be that everything's right with Jonah? But it isn't right with Jonah. There's, there's a verse in the Bible that says we need to understand our hearts because our hearts 
are deceitful above anything. And they are desperately wicked. Jesus said that out of the heart comes all of the terrible issues of this world. That's where it, that's the source, if you like, the deep down heart issue. That's where it pours out from. Jonah shows us this here. As far as we're concerned, Jonah's got it spot on, but the heart isn't right. And now we see it exposed because Jonah now comes to the point where as far as he's concerned, he's done his job He's, he's gone to Nineveh, he's gone and preached against this city, and exactly the thing which he was bothered about has happened. Exactly the thing that he was troubled about. This God is going to go and forgive these pagans. I'm going to appear as though my word is not true. There are many other issues that surround that, and we could, you know, we could work through a whole load of stuff. We haven't got time. I, I actually think that Jonah went back from this and was probably killed. Because after all, God's people don't want to hear, uh, it, according to the Old Testament, you know, they're so proud in there, in, in this is our God. One of Jonah's issues is he doesn't believe that God could go and, and be just and merciful to these pagans. We read in... Um, in chapter, uh, chapter 11 of Luke. Woe to you, Jesus says, because you build tombs for the prophets. And it was your father, forefathers who killed them. That is a few verses after Jesus has used the very example of Jonah the prophet. Isn't that remarkable? Jesus uses the example of Jonah the prophet and then he accuses God's people of being unfaithful by killing the prophets. I think Jonah probably went away from this. At some point afterwards, God's people have decided you're a false prophet because you said that you were going to bring destruction on that city. It hasn't happened. We, we've twisted God into our way of doing things, and God always brings judgment on horrible, dirty, sinful, pagan people. Therefore, you're a false prophet, and Jonah's probably, probably killed. But he goes outside of the city because he's troubled by this now. Goes outside of the city, and um, we read then verse 5, Jonah went out, sat down at a place east of the city. This is day 39, maybe day 40 somewhere around there, goes out, outside of the city. He's waiting to see what's God going to do. But he knows deep down, doesn't he, what God's going to do. But he goes outside and he waits and he sees what's going to happen. He's angry. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Have you ever been in one of those situations where somebody, you know, very young, maybe a family member, you know, throws a bit of a strop, goes outside, and you just kind of think, oh, you can just get on with it. God's not like that. Jonah goes out, and out of the city. He's waiting to see, what's God going to do in this situation? God's got, God is not threatened by Jonah's strop here. In fact, God goes out and helps Jonah. He provides a shelter for him. Jonah builds the shelter. 
And then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. (laughs) Isn't that a remarkable grace of God? With an angry prophet, somebody who right at this point in time is exposing his heart that I'm angry with you. I knew that you were going to do this. I knew that you were going to go and forgive them. And God says, while you're stropping, (laughs) I'll provide you some shelter. Now let's sit together, God almost says, and let's see what happens together. Let's learn together. Jonah's anger kind of builds up. And it's very clear that God doesn't destroy the city. What does happen is the very next day, God destroys what he provides. He sends a worm to eat away at the vine and then he sends a burning east wind. Jonah is at the mercy there of the elements, really exposed. The the elements that God has sent. You see, both are a provision from God. The vine is a provision from God and the east wind is a provision from God. The good and the hard is both sent by God. Why is that? How is it that God is sending both of them to this prophet? Well, actually, because of verse 10 onwards, this is the climax, really, of the book on face. You've been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned for this great city? Jonah, you've been concerned about a plant that has grown and been taken away. You're bothered because it's gone. You didn't create it. There's nothing before I grew it. Now it's gone. Don't you think, Jonah, I should be concerned as the creator of all things, as the one who has established Nineveh and created all of these people by my provision? Don't you think I should be concerned? That is the antidote to Jonah's anger. That is Jonah coming to terms in the face of his anger with the mercy and the compassion and the grace of God. So we've got a prophet on the run who starts in silence and now at least, you know, we see here, is it ever right to be angry with God? No. It's not right to be angry angry with God, but it is right to be honest with God. You know, at least we see here in Jonah's anger, at least he's beginning to open up. And his heart is opened up and he's beginning to say, look, this is the reality. Silence is worse than that. Silence is a terrible place to be in the face of God. And here's Jonah, he's moved now, he's started to be honest, he's started to be open. And you just leave it in, and then you say, uh, should not I be concerned about this great city, question mark, full stop? That's the end of the book. Where do we go from here? 
What's happening? Jonah, silence. Jonah, angry. Is that the answer for us? Absolutely not. We've got to move on somewhere else from that. We move from silence to honesty to confession. You say, where's Jonah's confession? It ends with a question mark. Where is Jonah's confession? Actually, I think we've been reading it for the past seven, eight, nine weeks. We read it from the very first verse of chapter 1 to the very last verse of chapter 4. Here's the confession of Jonah. It's contained in these four chapters. Because Jonah goes away from this and he writes an account of his experience. And how does he portray it? He portrays it as himself, the silent prophet who runs away from God. He portrays it as God who is gracious and kind and brings incredible events into his life so that he will be turned around. And then he portrays himself as the angry prophet who goes into Nineveh and he says, you lot are going to get destroyed in 40 days. And then he portrays himself as the angry prophet sat outside the city covered with a vine that God has graciously provided for him. He portrays himself as a stubborn, obstinate, objectionable man who doesn't care about these people in this city. He, doesn't, he sees them not as people. He sees them as a project. He sees them as something that he has to do. He doesn't see flesh and blood. He doesn't see people made in the image of God by the God who he worships. He doesn't see that. But he describes himself as being that man. And he describes from the very beginning to the very end a gracious and a compassionate God. There is Jonah's confession. From beginning to end. God always is portrayed in a good light through this book, isn't he? God is always portrayed as a kind and a compassionate God. Jonah is the one who writes in this book, chapter 2 and verse 4. He's the one who describes salvation is of the Lord, he says. Jonathan Edwards said, in his view, that is the most important verse in the whole of the Bible. Salvation is of the Lord. Being saved is by God's grace and by God's mercy and by God's power. Salvation is of God, Jonah says. Jonah says that. Where's his confession? Just written out before us. We will not move forward with God until we break the silence, no matter where we are in our relationship whether we're just coming to terms with the God who made us, 
or whether we've been walking that pathway and we find ourselves going astray and we find ourselves in silence before God. We have got to break that silence. And we've got to break that silence by being, by being honest. <laughs> you know and I know, no relationship is really restored until there's kind of honesty, openness. You've got to, got to get to the heart of the issue. What's the real issue that's kind of grinding away? Why is it that we're not in relationship? Why is this broken? Jonah had to do that. He had to get to the point of honesty before God. And it exploded out of him in anger. But at least he's talking to God. But it can't stay there. It's got to move on to the point where we say, now at least having been honest, I can say, but you are God. You are a kind of God who in spite of my anger, in spite of my frustration, in spite of my questions, I can still raise you up in this confession of this book, chapter 1 to chapter 4, and say, but you are good and you are kind. And you are compassionate. You are the kind of God that ultimately is described by Jesus in this way. If you want to, if you want to take Jonah chapter 1 to 4 and you say, how can we capture it in the life of Jesus and describe it in, in one verse? I think the way that we can capture Jonah 1 to 4 in one verse is probably one of the most famous verses in the whole of the Bible. For God so loved the world. That's what we see here, isn't it? That's what we see here. A God who is kind, a God who is loving, a God who is bothered about 120,000 people in spite of their wickedness. A God who reaches out who is kind and compassionate enough to send a messenger, Jonah. <laughs> Even an angry, stubborn messenger like Jonah. He's prepared to send him. Ultimately, he sends his only son. Why? Because that's the same God who so loves the world that he gave his one and only son. Why? So that the same thing can happen for all of us, for all of eternity, as people in Nineveh discovered. A God who steps back from judgment and the bringing of death. Because the verse carries on. So that whoever believes in that Jesus can gain eternal life. You know the thing about the Ninevites? I believe I'm going to see a whole load of them in heaven for a start because they became worshippers of this God. I'm going to see Ninevites. I'm going to, tell me. You were in Nineveh, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Imagine that conversation. That Jonah, he came to speak to you, didn't you? Yeah, that's Jonah over there. He came to speak. What did he smell like? Because <laughs> he'd been in the belly of a fish for three days, spewed up onto the beach. What, what was he like? 
But what was it like to suddenly realize that the God who he came to declare to you, a God who was bringing a message, as far as you were concerned, of judgment and destruction, when you suddenly discovered that that God was a merciful God? What was it like? Jesus came into the world so that he could describe to us most perfectly that God is a merciful God. A God who breaks into this world, who, yes, declares judgment and at the same time declares mercy by holding those both things together through his Son so that whoever believes in him can gain eternal life. We will never move forward with God in our silence. I want to encourage you. There are no questions off limits with God. There are no thoughts that God is going to be scared of. There are no things that are going to knock God off balance. You can be totally honest with him. He's not going to be shocked about some of the things that you have to be honest with him about. Because he knows them already. (laughs) You can't hide. That's what Jonah discovered. Silence is no answer. But neither is anger. The only real way forward is confession. Confession. 